0: We got the alternative energy right. I mean, we kill our free autonomy And, we and well, welcome we to-, to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network.
1: Hello, this is the Radioactive Show and today's show has been made on Wurundjeri Country and I'd like to begin by acknowledging that sovereignty has never been ceded and pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. On today's show, I catch up with Annette Brownlee of iPan, which is the independent and peaceful Australian network, about their recent conference held in early August in Darwin. Following that is my discussion with Lena Kolelat, a PhD student at the Australian National University. Who specialises in historical and ethnographic approaches to the study of protests, social movements, and religion in contemporary South Korea? Lena also made it along to the Ipan conference. We'll begin, though, by hearing from Annette Brownley, chair of Ipan. Well, thanks very much, Annette, for uh, taking the time to join us on the Radioactive Show, and. I understand that there has very recently been an IPAN, is it the National Conference? Could you give us a bit of a rundown on how the conference went and what were some of the main pressing issues that were being discussed?
2: Yeah, sure. It went very well. Um, there were, it was a good attendance and also um, people coming from the Darwin community, which um, was really one of our main aims. Mm. to hold a conference in Darwin was about the 2500 troops making um the the base in, in Darwin at the RAF base as well as the um as the army base mm. and um the growing levels of um military activity up there with navy as well as air force mm. so yeah we were we were pleased that um We had the impact that we did on the community and also some quite good ABC coverage in in Darwin itself.
1: Did you have uh, community events through the conference? Um... Hmm.
2: We had uh, a public meeting to open the conference on Mm -hmm. Friday night and uh, good attendance there, around about 100 people turned up, which for little Darwin I think we were very happy with. And we also held a protest at the Robertson Barracks on Saturday afternoon. And, and again, a very good turnout. Um, we had to enlist as many people as possible to help us with transport to get people out there. But the ABC was there and uh, they did a good coverage of the protest. Mm. We did try to present the um, Marines in Darwin with uh, our gift, which was a beautifully crafted piece of Australian timber with a boot uh, (laughs) on the top, (laughs) uh, with given the boot being the the message, really, that we don't want another country to base their military forces on our land,
1: Mm. especially
2: the United States, with its terrible track record of dragging Australia into wars that have been nothing to do with the defence of Australia from the Second World War onwards. We've tagged along with US-led wars, to horrendous outcomes for the mm. people in those countries and for our veterans as they return home from those wars.
1: And it's interesting that you say, do you think that there's been an increased awareness in Darwin about the, you said it's also a growing presence of US troops there. Um, what is it like in terms of the public visibility of of the troops in Darwin and how that operates
2: Yeah, very much. Uh, uh, They must have a message not to interact with the community, Uh, even when we were out and about ourselves. um, There were never any of the U.S. forces in uniform. Mm. You you could pick them, but um, they were in cities. uh, Even after the conference, had a lovely day at Litchfield National Park. And again, it was obvious that these were Marines, um, but they were... In fact, we did approach them, but they were told they um, weren't, weren't to um, have discussions with the locals. So there's mm-hmm. obviously a, um, um, a strategy to um, keep that distance from the Australian people in Darwin mm-hmm. and uh, I suppose to try and avoid, and I don't know how much this has been successful, but to have the interactions with women in the um, area that they're been based, because mm. we all know the uh, terrible history of um, U.S. Marines and abuse of women in many countries where American military bases are stationed, Okinawa being the most known about, but certainly during the time in the Philippines, there was also a very uh, awful history of um, sexual abuse uh, at that time.
1: Mm. Well, and as for the content of of the conference, could you share with us some of the highlights of speakers or also any really juicy conversations that we were had in terms of campaigns IPAN is involved with?
2: Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I think one of the um, important um, revelations really that... Um, made the conference in Darwin even more special was the announcement um, that was made public not long before the conference that an area outside of Darwin (coughs) has been uh, earmarked to build a US naval base. Mm. Um, Now it's at Glide Point which is 40 kilometres away from Darwin and to get there a very um, new piece of road has been built to gunpoint aptly named Um, now it wasn't made clear why this nice new road had been built um, to an area which is basically a fishing area for locals Mm. beautiful um, coastline and uh, prolific marine life which is not overfished at this point but uh, that came to light and that's obviously causing quite a bit of concern to people in Darwin that Mm. they may be Denied not only their pristine coastline but also their their fishing area, and that we could see a build up again of U.S. naval forces in the area. And yet, so this wasn't
1: a, so. Sorry, um, this yeah. it really seems like it was quite a sneaky build up to that base. It wasn't something that was debated in NT or federal parliaments or kind of circumvented Absolutely. democracy in that way.
2: Believe them they say they know they know nothing about it and up and in fact we did the first whisper of this came out you know maybe six weeks eight weeks ago and at that time the Australian government denied that there was any possibility of that this would happen but um it became clear that um you know it is likely to happen um through information about Congress in the United States, where they're just waiting on uh, the allocation of the $300 million to be agreed upon at a, um, in, in the U.S. Mm. Uh, system before uh, this goes ahead. So, again, you know, it's the whole kind of um, lying, really. We saw it before the Iraq war, where right up until close to the time of attack, John Howard was saying, no decision has been made, no decision has been made. And... Uh, you know, we wonder why people don't trust what politicians say. Because they do. They just lie. They have their agenda and it's worked out years before, mm. in you know, quietly. And then little bits and pieces are dripped out and the propaganda around the time is created to try to get people to accept the decisions that they've made without any consultation with uh, uh, the people or through Parliament. So it is quite disgusting, really. What, what,
1: how this, uh, how those decisions are made? Mm. But organisations like IPAN are there to try and shine a light on some of that dirty business. Um, how, how was that type of organising at the conference? Or how do you feel? Um, are they really important focal points for the year to come?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, look, I, I think um, I sense. A, a groundswell of concern about uh, our integration with the United States military and their activities. I think IPAN is certainly helping to raise awareness. Um, I'll just give you one example because we live-streamed the conference and um, the session on foreign basis mm. uh, was watched by thousands of people. Mm, wow. So, Although we despair that we don't have a mass movement, I really do get a sense that there's growing concern and growing opposition to our um, close military alliance with the United States and, and again, real concern about what it might lead to, just as we saw really in the lead up to the Iraq war, which... It seems long ago now, and particularly for young listeners or yourself,
0: mm,
2: you know, I, it, must, it must seem like you know ancient
1: history. <laughs> no, I, I vividly recall going to the Iraq War rallies and sort of around the time of my awakening political consciousness. It was my eighteenth birthday, the day the day the war started. So <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it's yeah, I feel a like
2: horrible thing to think about it.
1: Yeah.
0: Really?
1: and we have seen that. um Defense has been the new in the news very recently. Uh, just in the last few days, there's been a lot of mainstream media coverage about the spending, billions of dollars spending for SAS troops, and it's painted as this sort of like, oh, you know, just updating their uniforms and sort of things like this, wow. and um, looking after the soldiers. And I don't know what what would the IPAN perspective be on this latest spending announcement
2: alarm bells, I'd say, to be yeah. honest. This isn't about just killing them out with new gear. It's killing them out for um, a planned event, a planned uh, use of those SAS troops. And uh, what Scott Morrison said uh, makes you feel sick almost. Uh, he said, this is about ensuring our special forces are on the, edge, on the leading edge of capability. He said... Um, Australia's elite soldiers needed to be safe in battlefields so they could keep Australia safe. Mm. I mean, the best way we can keep Australians safe is to stay out of United States' wars and and build good relations with our neighbouring countries Mm. and work on climate change. The greatest security threat to all people on the planet is a warming climate, Mm. everything that comes with that.
1: Actually, that does lead me to one further question, which is, it's something I also noticed in some of the commentary around the New Zealand defence spending. Um, I mean, in more, um, I guess, in responses to a more like critical audience who are maybe asking why there was this increase in defence spending some of the justifications were made around climate change, you know, this sort of like, well, we need to be able to respond to crises in the Pacific, and, which I'm pretty sceptical about. Um, but, yeah, I'm just wondering if that that link between using increased military spending and crisis response in terms of climate change... Um, yeah,
2: makes them look good, doesn't it? And it, and it, is, a, it is a mask over the real agenda... Um, and if anything, you know, a build up of naval forces would be about keeping refugees out of the north of Australia. Mm. Um, that's what I can see, you know, with Bangladesh, well, basically millions of people will be made homeless as the sea levels rise and more terrible storms hit that part of the world. Um, How are we going to manage that? What sort of crisis management will our naval forces do? Will they pick these people up from the the seas that they're floundering in and bring them here for safekeeping, or will they create more offshore detention centres, or will they just refuse to do anything with them? Mm. Um, You know, this really needs to be discussed, and we need to have the level of discussion and debate um, just expand it in, in Australia uh, in whatever way we can, whether it's through the media, through our communities. Like we're running in Brisbane, we're running a, um, a schools event uh, tomorrow mm-hmm. where um, a group of high school students are coming together to look at the connection between wars and climate change.
1: Oh, amazing. Climate
2: change and wars. So we're looking at the Sustainable Development Goals 13 and 16 um, and just how those two interact with each other Mm. so you know I know it's hard work and and it requires a lot of effort but gee whiz this is our future this is our children and in my case my grandchild's uh, future it's really really important
1: Yeah, Yeah. it's worth fighting for. (laughs) fighting Um, for. You've mentioned that uh, you're seeking to make some of the content of the conference available. And how how would you suggest for listeners who do want to follow up or even get involved, um, what first steps would you suggest for them?
2: Well, I I guess our two uh, conduits to the broader community are both the website and the Facebook page, I encourage people to go to the Facebook page. Uh, it's under Independent and Peaceful Australia Network. It's not under IPAN, yeah. which is what is becoming more or more well-known. And, in fact, the website is ipan.org.au. <laughs>
1: um,
2: but people can feel free to um, contact us through the IPAN email as well, and um, we will definitely answer any queries that... Um, people have or any ways in which they might be looking to get involved in their own community on mm. these issues.
1: You're listening to The Radioactive Show and that was Annette Brownlee, Chair of IPAN. Next is my discussion with PhD candidate Lena Kolelat about her research into protest and social movements in South Korea. All right, so... I'm joined by Lena Koleilad, a Lebanese-Australian PhD candidate at the Australian National University. And um, I've read that you self-describe as a feminist anti-war activist scholar, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> thanks for joining us on the Radioactive Show, Lena. Would you be able to begin by describing for listeners what brought you to be undertaking this research and perhaps a bit of a description of how you undertook your field field work in South Korea.
0: Okay, Uh, thank you Emma for the introduction. So I have been researching this topic for a long time now and I'm nearing the completion of this PhD. Um, I came to the topic uh, with the curiosity um, about learning more about communities who resist war, mm-hmm. um, having had to grow in uh, grow up in war myself and being um, forced to be uh, uh, made refugees with my family several times, um, uh, inter- we were internally dis- displaced within Lebanon and outside Lebanon mm-hmm. um, several times during my childhood. I was curious about communities around the world that resist wars and militarism. And I had already spent a few years in Korea learning the language and um, the culture and the history and doing a master's there. Um, And I learned that in South Korea, there's a very big active um, anti-war movement. So this is how I got about to... um, uh, research this topic specifically.
1: Mm, thanks. And you, um, from the reading I've done, it sounds like you particularly researched a uh, one particular Catholic community who were yeah. resisting, if that's right, or could you elaborate yeah. on that a bit for us?
0: So um, Korean, the history of the Catholic Church in Korea is very interesting But what got me attracted to this particular community is that um, I was looking online while I was here preparing for my um, research proposal in Canberra. And I found some pictures of uh, priests and nuns, Catholic priests and Catholic nuns holding hands um, and stopping the police and construction trucks Mm. from entering the site of construction. And that caught my attention. And I was very curious, what were they doing? Um, And then I did some more research and I found out that this community has been resisting several um, issues and they have been very active in social movements. Um, So I became very curious about them and I wanted to know more about what they are resisting and why they are doing it and how do they resist. Mm. Um, And it was really striking, the images, because they were wearing their um, official catholic clothing clerical clothing mm-hmm. so they were very colorful um and very religious and 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 looked the the images were <clears throat> phenomenal just looking at them
1: yeah it sounds um, so, mm. sounds striking definitely and so from there how did it
0: evolve so i just started attending some of the protests um At that time, um, this community was resisting the election of President Park Geun-hye. And um, I don't know how much uh, listeners know about uh, South Korean politics, but Park Geun-hye was impeached um, several years after she was elected, before her term was finished. And uh, the movement that was started by these groups who were resisting her election in the first place Uh, were the first steps into a growing movement that later on became the Candlelight Revolution Mm. that toppled her presidency. So I just went there and participated in the protests. All the protests led by this community were on the streets, in public spaces, in front of City Hall, or um, uh, in the main uh, public areas of the city. And most of the protests themselves were... Catholic Mass, so people would gather. There would be a full Catholic Mass, um, and the issues would be discussed within the sermon. And then people would gather and discuss more. And um, so the format format of the protests usually um, were Catholic Mass, mm, um, all the liturgy, and yeah, all the different steps of the Mass
1: were. Um... Did it feel like a process that was open to people of other religious faiths as well, or were there other groups organising
0: in different ways or different forms? Um, The movements where this Catholic community was participating, there was a lot of different groups participating as well, but the biggest religious group was the, this Catholic community. Um, they were not, uh, exclusionary in any way. It was only after several months of me attending that someone asked me if I was a Catholic. Um, so they were not really, you know, they were not, um, uh, watching who's coming in and who's coming out. It was a public event and people came and sat down and some people just left and some people hanging around and, Mm. um, it didn't. The community doesn't have an aim of preaching Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, their aims are mainly the social movements that they are involved in to fight the certain issues that they are fighting for.
1: Mm. And in your research, it, um, I read that one of the things you've been interested in is how these communities um, stick together or how they... Persist over time as well. Um, what did you find from looking at this particular community?
0: Um, uh, this is very interesting. I mean, there's in my study I try to understand because this the genealogy of activism of this particular Catholic community dates back to 1960s, um, and it's very embedded within the cultural and historical context of South Korea's society and politics. Mm. Um, But what really interested me was how can you keep protesting all the time? How do you keep people on the streets? How do you keep momentum? Why do people come together? Why do they keep coming every day, every week, every month? Um, And, you know, these movements, what's really incredible for this community is that the the movements are sustained for years and years um, without interruption. Um, and there are several reasons that I discuss in my thesis why and how they do that. Um, but one of the um, main issues um, is their, one of the central issues that brings them together is their prophetic activism. So that concept of having um, <clears throat> activism directed with a prophetic aim that is, re- that is very strongly connected to the faith of the community. So the community is often comparing the world that they are living in to what, ideally, in their Christian theology, they perceive the world should be like, um, a peaceful place where people don't kill each other, um, where people forgive each other, um, a theology that is based very similar to... Um, to liberation theology in Latin America, mm. but also has roots to Minjung theology in Korea. Um, and it has very strong local roots. But one of the main, another main uh, influence that keeps these communities going is basically the, the links that they build with um, other communities that are resisting in other countries and other places. So, um, I look in my thesis and my research uh, at how these communities find like-minded people who are resisting militarism, military bases and wars, um, how they find them, how they connect with them in different countries, and how they build these transnational networks that cross the borders of nation-states and build uh, this transnational solidarity that is very, very important for the continuity of the group but also of the legitimacy of how people perceive each other in in a movement when things become really difficult, when the movement is exhausted, when people are exhausted. um, When you see that you are part of a much larger uh, movement around the world, it gives people hope um, Mm -hmm. and it helps them uh, keep going and keep fighting. Uh, in addition to a lot of other benefits that people build relationships um, with other like-minded people from other places who have very similar issues and problems. If you look at um, how the South Korean activists, for example, um, uh, connect with activists in Okinawa who are also resisting United States military bases Hmm. and how they share some of the problems that US military bases cause in local regions from um, violence uh, to rape in the local communities um, to different other environmental issues and and just connecting with people who are sharing um, these problems and these struggles is extremely valuable for these movements, Mm. uh, for their survival and for them to keep going.
1: It's um, really amazing to hear about all the different types of resistance you know which is brought together by faith or just belief in a better world or different mm. you know all the different reasons that contribute to people being peace activists or um resisting military on their mm. in their community and just mm. um just to finish off Lena also how you did actually make it along to the IPAN conference in Darwin, what was your experience of um, coming
0: together with others there? Um, the Iban conference was really good. I have he- I've heard so much about it from the community I worked with um, in South Korea, not only the Catholics but also other peace activists who have built strong connections with activists in Australia um, and with the network with the Independent uh, Peace Australia Network. Um, So I've heard so much about it and it's been, it was my first time this time for me to attend. Mm. Um, The conference was very well attended. Um, It was a mix of activists, academics um, and people who are on the ground struggling with issues of militarism. Um, So it was really very refreshing to meet other people who are worried about these things, who are resisting you know, the expansion of, uh, of U.S. military bases in Darwin, for example, mm. um, and resisting um, the existence of Pine Gap, um, and, and, and trying to resist how Australia's foreign policy has been largely following the United States blindly without, without Australia having its own independent um, international relations uh, directions that makes Australia um, safer, Uh, independent and not having to follow whatever U.S. wars uh, the U.S. is going into.
1: This has been the Radioactive Show. Thank you to all my guests, Annette Brownlee and Lena Kolelat. You can keep up to date with IPAN by finding them online. Today's show has been broadcast from Wurundjeri Country in the Kulin Nations for 3CR Community Radio and also it's heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Thank you to the ACE Collective of Friends of the Earth for their support. You can podcast our show at 3, the number, cr.org.au. I'm Emma Crunch, thanks for listening, and here's to a nuclear-free future.